0: Hey Harmony, it's great to be with you today and I want to invite you, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts 9 where we're going to look at a watershed event, really, really big kind of world-changing event, Uh, not only uh, in Acts and not only in church history, but in history, period. This event is the conversion to Christianity of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And I agree with commentator William Larkin when he writes that this conversion is the most important event in human history apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that's a pretty big statement, so let me try to back it up here. This is such a big event because Saul's also known as the Apostle Paul, the man who would go on to write half of the New Testament and become the greatest theologian and missionary the world has ever known. He's the individual who's most responsible for uh, the growth of the church, and it's spread throughout the entire world. It's no exaggeration to say that other than Jesus, God has used Paul more than any human being ever. And today we have the privilege to look at the incredible story of how he became a Christian. Now I need to tell you that in this message, I'm going to go back uh, and forth between calling him Saul and Paul. That's because he's Saul in our text, but we know him best as Paul. So I'll go back and forth, and you just roll with me on that, all right? All right? You you okay with that? All right. So if you found your way uh, to Acts 9, follow along with me now as I read this uh, wonderful story. It's a little bit of a longer text here, but uh, I think it will keep your attention uh, very, very closely. Uh, Luke tells us this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Jesus. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. In one sense, given the magnitude of what happens here, it's good for us just to be familiar with this story. It's important for us to know how such a key figure in church history was converted, became a Christian. However, there's much, much more for us in this story than this. And so I want to talk about what we learn about conversion here. What do we learn about conversion from Saul's conversion? And and here's the underlying question that I want us to wrestle with as as we, we talk about Saul's conversion. I want us to ask ourselves this question, every single one of us. Have I been converted? Have I experienced what Saul experienced? In Matthew 18.3, Jesus tells us that we have to be converted if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is a pretty big question. In fact, in many ways, it is the biggest question. So that's what we want to uh, grapple with together today. In the story of Saul's conversion, we learn four essential truths about conversion. Four truths that every single one of us desperately need to know. First, we learn that conversion can happen to anyone. We learn that conversion can happen to anyone. Simply put, if Saul of Tarsus could become a Christian, anyone can become a Christian. Here's some of the words that the New Testament uses to describe Saul pre-conversion. Insolent, evil, persecutor, Blasphemer, murderer. In short, the unconverted Saul is a wicked, hard-hearted, bloodthirsty man—a man as opposed to Jesus as someone could be—and yet he's still converted. And this just goes to show that no one is beyond God's reach; that there is no one who whose God God's grace cannot extend to. I love verses five and six. Where after Saul's um, ask, after Saul asks who's talking to him, Jesus says, It's me, the one you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This is another one of those fantastic uses of the word but in, in the Bible. Anytime you have the word but in the Bible, I should say anytime, but many times when you have the word but in the Bible, uh, something, it's been something bad, but now something good. It's happening. Jesus says, Saul, right now you're my greatest foe, but I'm going to save you anyway and make you my greatest ambassador. What amazing, amazing grace this is. And one of the primary things we all need to hear today is that this amazing grace can save anyone. So if you're here today, if you're watching online, doubting if you can be saved, If you're afraid that maybe you've been too hard-hearted or too antagonistic or you've done something that makes salvation impossible for you, see in Saul's conversion that it's not. If God's grace could convert him, it can convert you too. On the other hand, if you have a hard-hearted family member or friend, Saul's story should encourage you not to lose hope, not to stop praying, not to stop telling them about Jesus. There's no heart. There is no heart on this world, on this earth, that God's grace cannot change. If he could change Saul's heart, he can change your family or friend's heart too. This was really encouraging uh, to me this week. Uh, I've been despairing somewhat over an individual that uh, I've been praying for and trying to, to reach, trying to share the gospel with. And um, it's just, at least to me, uh, seemed apparent that um, this just person was just way too hard-hearted and it just wasn't going to be possible. And yet, as I, I read the story and studied Saul's conversion this week, the Holy Spirit just convicted me to say, listen, if this man could be converted, this person you're trying to reach can be converted too. You know, a lot of times we look at people and we say, oh, it would take a miracle for them to be saved. But friends, we have to realize that it's a miracle for anyone to be saved. And we have a God who is in the miracle working business. That's one of the things that we learn. It's one of the things I love about the story of Saul's conversion. Second, in Saul's conversion today, we learn that conversion occurs by God's initiative. Conversion occurs by God's initiative. It's clear that when when Saul sets out for Damascus, the last thing he's looking for is Jesus. You you can see that, right? When Saul goes to Damascus, he's not trying to find Jesus. He's trying to get rid of Jesus, get rid of any any hint or any indication of of Jesus anywhere. You know, sometimes... um, We read the Bible and we we have this idea that these Bible characters knew what was going to happen, right? They didn't, all right? They were actually living. So, So Saul had no idea that when he got on that road that day that he was going to become a Christian. That was the last thing in his mind. Saul heads to Damascus to imprison followers of Jesus, not to become a follower of Jesus himself. And this demonstrates how no one comes to Jesus without him coming to them first. I want to say that again. This demonstrates for us how no one comes to Jesus without him coming to them first. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. We see something similar with Saul here in verses 13 through 15 of Acts 9. So verses 13 through 15 is, is when Jesus is having this discussion with Ananias. And understandably, when Jesus tells Ananias to go and lay hands on Saul, he initially balks, right? He, he says, You can't be serious, Jesus. This is the guy, okay? This is the guy who, who's been wreaking havoc on your people all over the world. This is the guy who's been murdering Christians and throwing Christians in jail. He's been doing all kinds of evil. I've heard about this guy. You can't be serious that you want me to actually go to him and lay my hands on him. If I do that, he's gonna lay hands on me and throw me in prison. So it's understandable, right? But, but know how Jesus responds, right? He responds by telling Ananias that Saul is his chosen, get that word, chosen instrument to spread the gospel. And we really need to see this. Saul didn't become a Christian and must just an apostle by his own initiative. He didn't chase after God. God chased after him. And that's the way it is with all of us. None of us chases after God. None of us comes to God unless he first comes to us. Let me use Paul's own words to emphasize this a little more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. He writes this. The God of this world, pay, pay close attention to this, all right? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Unbelievers cannot, they do not have the ability to be able to look at Jesus and to believe that he is God, that he died on the cross for their sins and that he rose again. They they are incapable of doing that. Satan has blinded them. Verse 6 says this, though. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Satan has blinded unbelievers... But for believers, God has shown the light into their hearts so that they can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That means so that they can can actually see that Jesus is God. They can actually understand that he is God, the God who came and died and rose again so that they may be saved. Now, I think it's very likely that when Paul writes 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6, He actually is thinking about his own conversion experience. See, prior to his conversion, Saul had blinded him to the truth of who Jesus is. Saul had thought Jesus to be a fraud. He had thought the resurrection was a hoax. But in an instant, God that You see that light there that blinded Saul? That's meant to illustrate how God was shining into Saul's heart the truth about Jesus. And all of a sudden, he realizes that Jesus isn't a fraud, that the resurrection isn't a hoax, that it is actually true. And as a result, he responds in repentance and faith and is converted. And this, my friends, is the way that it works for every single Christian. When someone becomes a Christian at one moment... Okay, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. That's how he explains it there. Here we see that that they're blinded. All right. They're, they're blind at one moment. They can't see. They they don't believe. They they won't believe. But in the next moment, God shines the truth in their hearts. They see who Jesus is, and in response, they repent of their sins, they place their faith in him, and they are converted. They become a Christian. They are saved. Which leads to this. Here's the third thing we learn from Saul's conversion story we learn that conversion is turning from sin to Jesus the basic meaning of the word conversion is turning so so just think of the, the simple example here right if you if you convert inches into feet you're turning inches into feet right how many inches are in a foot just say it Anybody, can you convert there, all right? Okay, well, right? You, you turn. That's what the word convert means. It means to, to turn. So spiritually speaking, then, conversion is turning from sin in repentance and turning to Jesus in faith. Here's a simple way to put it, all right? Conversion equals repentance plus faith. That's what conversion is. Someone is converted. Someone becomes a Christian when they repent of their sins, they turn from their sins, and they turn in faith to Jesus. Let's talk about Saul. As he's headed to Damascus, he's going his own way. He's doing his own thing, rejecting Jesus, and and really he's doing everything he can to save himself. However, When God literally knocks him off of his feet and shines the truth about Jesus into his heart, he first repents of his sin and then he places his faith in Jesus. We can see this most clearly in verses 19 and 20 where Luke says that Saul joins the disciples in Damascus. So so he joins them. Remember, he, he had gone to Damascus to imprison them, to persecute them, but now he is joining them. There's the repentance and then... The next thing he does is he immediately begins to proclaim, get this, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's faith. He has now placed his faith in who Jesus truly is. Repentance and faith. Saul goes from persecuting Jesus to proclaiming Jesus. He was persecuting. He repents of that. Then he places his faith and begins to proclaim Jesus. Now, there are numerous numerous New Testament passages where Paul provides insight into his conversion. In fact, we could do an entire series that would go for weeks and weeks and weeks just looking at the New Testament passages where Paul kind of gives us insight to, into this story that we're looking at today about actually what happens on the road to Damascus and, and those three days while he's waiting for Ananias to come. But perhaps the one that provides us with the best insight is Philippians 3, 7 through 9. And just let me give you a a little background here. Right before verse 7, Paul has laid out his spiritual resume. All right, he's just kind of laid it out there. But now he says this in verse 7, but whatever gain I had... And what he means by that is whatever I gain I had from all those things that I have accomplished, my my background, all right, my education, uh, the way that I was the chief persecutor of the church, all of those things, all right, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, that's a nice English word, okay? I can't even say the English word that's the equivalent there, all right? Caused me lots of grief and lots of trouble, but dung would be maybe an acceptable word. That's what he's talking about there. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There's a lot for us to talk about here, but we'll just, for the time that we have um, today... Talk about and zero in on this word righteousness. Righteousness. Paul's saying that when he was converted, he turned from trusting in his own righteousness. He repented of that. He stopped placing faith in his heritage, his education, his goodness, his religious observance, his effort. When he was converted... When he saw Jesus that day on the Damascus road, he stopped trusting in all of those things so that he could have the righteousness that God freely gives to those who have faith in Jesus. All right, so we have two options. We can either rest on our own righteousness or we can trust in the righteousness that God freely gives to those who place their faith in Jesus. The righteousness of God that Paul is talking about here. We have a choice. And the problem, if we rest on our own righteousness, is that our own righteousness will not cut it. Our own righteousness is not good enough because, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, all of us have, you know what, right? The next word, have sinned and fall short of God's glory, fall short of God's standard. That's the problem. Big, huge problem. Here's the answer. Here's the wonderful truth, though, God will give us the righteousness that we need if we'll stop trying to be righteous on our own and simply trust that Jesus was righteous for us. And if we will do that, God will give us that righteousness for free. And so what Paul is saying is that on the Damascus Road, when he was converted, he stopped trying to be righteous on his own. All of that stuff meant nothing to him anymore because he realized it wasn't any good to him. And instead... He simply received the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And friends, at the bottom line, this is what it means to be converted. It means to come to the place where you turn from trying to be righteous on your own and instead turn and by faith and faith alone receive Jesus' righteousness instead. That's what it means to be converted. So I'm going to ask you this today. Have you been converted? Have you been converted? And I just want to be clear. I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? Have you gotten uh, into a baptismal tank? Have you started calling yourself a Christian? All of those things may be signs that you've been converted, but they are not being converted. All right? I, I want to be just as crystal clear as I can about this. And, and, and the reason I want to be that way is because probably my my biggest concern as a pastor is that there are a lot of people in the church who are unconverted. They say that they're converted, they call themselves a Christian. They even believe and maybe think that they are converted, but they're not converted because they have not repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus. They're trusting in something other than Jesus for their salvation. Their family name, that they grew up in church, that they got in a baptismal tank, that they prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, that they're a good person. Now, all of those things may be signs that someone's been converted, but they are not being converted. Being converted means that you have repented of your sins, you've turned from trusting in in, in yourself and and your efforts to to save yourself, and you have turned and placed your faith completely and totally in Jesus and what he did for you in his life, death, and resurrection. That's what it means to be converted. And so I'm going to take you back to Matthew 18.3. I mentioned it at the beginning. You've probably forgotten it by now, so it's a good reminder, right? Matthew 18.3, Jesus says this. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to ask you, is this true for you? Have you turned from your sin and turned in childlike faith to Jesus? Have you given up the pursuit of your own righteousness and by faith received Jesus's righteousness instead If not, today is the day to do so. Right now is the moment to do so. Through repentance and faith, be converted and enter the kingdom today. Here's the fourth and final thing we learn about conversion from Saul's story. We learn that conversion results in transformation. How do you know if you've been converted? You can know if you've been converted if there is transformation happening in your life. Are you being changed so that you are becoming more like Jesus? All those who are converted experience transformation. Perhaps the thing that stands out the most about Saul's conversion story is his radical transformation. We didn't read this, uh, but later in chapter nine, Saul goes to Jerusalem. And when he first tries to join the church there, the other believers, like Ananias, are deathly afraid of him. They want absolutely nothing to do with him, and understandably so, right? They're like, there's no way we're allowing this guy into the church because he's probably just trying to infiltrate us to figure out who the true believers are so that he can imprison us or worse. So that's their initial response. However, they they relatively quickly accept him. And do you know why they do so? They do so because they see the profound change in his life. Again, they see this guy who had been persecuting Jesus, now powerfully proclaiming Jesus. Now, lest we think Saul's conversion is unique, He himself makes it clear in his letters that transformation is something all Christians experience. I'm not saying that Saul didn't have a unique or a special encounter with Jesus, and I'm also not saying that everyone experiences the same kind of instantaneous change he did. But I am saying, and I'm saying it because Paul says it over and over again, that turning to Jesus always leads to becoming like Jesus. I want to say that again, all right? I want you to get this, all right? Turning to Jesus always leads to being transformed by Jesus. So much so that where there is no change, there is no conversion. No change, no conversion. No transformation, no conversion. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's the last verse that we'll look at today. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let's walk closely through this, all right? Very carefully through this. Notice he says, we all. The the we all here are all believers. And all believers, we're gonna skip here this next line, next two lines, are being transformed. All believers are being transformed and they are being transformed into the image of Jesus. The same image is that's the image of the Lord or the the likeness of Jesus. So all believers, every single believer is being transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, you'll note that this is a process, right? It's from one degree of glory to another. What that means is that it takes, it happens over time. All right, and, and so I just want you to understand this. All right, my experience is is that for almost every Christian, their transformation looks like the stock market during the pandemic. Okay, you know what I'm talking about here. Lots of ups and downs, lots of change and fits and starts, and, and not always good change. All right, but what Paul is telling us here is that over the long haul. Over time, all Christians are being changed. They are all experiencing transformation into the image of Jesus so that over the long haul, they are becoming more Christ-like. What I'm trying to tell you here is that we know that we've been converted if we're becoming like Jesus. You see, those who've been converted have had the veil removed from their eyes. Let me go back to that verse. Can we put that back up real quick, just for a second? Notice that Paul says this, we all with unveiled face. What does that mean? It sounds confusing, but, but basically uh, it just means that the veil has been removed from our eyes. Remember we talked about that earlier, about how, how the, the uh, God of this world, Satan has, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So, so we've had this veil where we can't see, but then God shines the light of the truth about Jesus into our hearts, which means that he takes that veil off. So so all true believers have had this veil removed from their eyes. Those who have been converted no longer blind, but are able to clearly see the glory, or we can use this word, the beauty of Jesus. And being able to see his beauty, we're transformed by it. So that as we continue to look at him, we become like him. I hope I'm not being too confusing here, because to be converted means to see the beauty of Jesus in such a way that you want to keep looking at his beauty continually. And as you keep looking at his beauty, you're transformed by that beauty so that you become what you are looking at. Let me try to illustrate this. 25 years ago, almost to the day, at a car wash in Tallahassee, Florida, I beheld the beauty of my wife for the first time. Now, I had seen her before because we we went together. I went to college together uh, for a couple of years in Tennessee. Uh, But we didn't really hardly know each other. And the primary reason for that is that she was always hanging around with the athletes. And uh, as you may have guessed, I wasn't one of them. I thought that would get more of a laugh, all right? You were more likely to find me in the uh, library or the science lab. Uh, but anyway, we uh, after we graduated from college, we both got recruited to teach at a uh, Christian school in Tallahassee. And so um, almost literally like to the day, uh, 25 years ago, I was down there looking for a place to live and I ran into uh, her at a car wash. And she still questions this, but I'm, I'm being totally honest when I say that, uh, say this, that the the moment that I first um, beheld her there, and saw her beauty, I decided that she was the woman that I wanted to behold her beauty for the rest of my life. In other words, I I, I saw her beauty. It transfixed me. And I said, I just want to keep looking at her beauty for the rest of my life. Something that I've had the privilege to do for 25 years now, and that I i am glad to do and enjoy doing more now than ever before. And friends, this is how it works for those who are truly converted. True Christians have seen the beauty of Jesus and this makes them want to look at him over and over and over again. And as they look at him over and over again, they become like him. Looking at Jesus is what makes us like Jesus. And so in closing, I will ask you this. Have you seen the beauty of Jesus? Have you? Have you seen Jesus? Jesus as the son of God. Jesus as God come in the flesh. Jesus hanging naked on a cross for you. Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Jesus ascending back to heaven. Jesus saying, I'm coming one day to make all things new for you. Have you seen his beauty? If you haven't, look and see it today. May the scales drop off of your eyes. May you get up and may you follow him faithfully for the rest of your life. And may you continue to look at him over and over and over again and be transformed as you do so. Let's pray.